All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, international best-selling author Jay is on the show, entrepreneur and intrapreneur who is widely recognized as one of the world's leading experts on disruption and innovation. Described by Wired Magazine as having the coolest job in the industry, he raises hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, sells companies to Fortune 500 firms, transforms entire industries, revamps governments, institutions, and for three decades continues to be at the forefront of global trends. Everyone from the Pope to the President calls on Jay to orchestrate positive change in this era of endless innovation. Damn, that sounds like a fun job. Welcome. I just have the most fun of anybody I know. Happy (laughs) to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, Jay. And, you know, before we get into the books and some of your work, I always start off with just trying to understand who the person is behind the mic. So everyone gets the same prompt and that's just, who are you? Who's Jay? What defines the the person here? At least today, because that evolves, Um, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big believer of, I, I may get older, but I never grow up. Um, I was like everybody else. I bought into this thing in society that if you study hard and you go to school and you do well, you'll live happily ever after. Uh, Got out of college in a recession and there's no jobs. Like uh, society lied. And so I didn't start off with the growth mindset, but I had uh, two sons when I was young and I looked in their faces and that was all the motivation I needed to try anything and everything. And so you fast forward Years go by, you create companies that sell for billions of dollars, dozens of friends become billionaires, and you realize you're still the same, you know, stupid kid that you once were. And since you've worked with the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and all these people, you knew what they were like before they had all that money. Yeah. And you know that anyone can do this. So every 48 hours, there's a new self-made billionaire. What are they doing different with their time? I, my soapbox really is, I love living in a free country. You only have democracy if you have a strong middle class. The pandemic wiped out the middle class in the U.S. and internationally. And the only way to get it back is to teach people to be successful. And so I wrote my first book, Disrupt You. It was probably the most gratifying thing in my life because when I was a CEO of a NASDAQ company and those types of things, your inbox is, I hate you, I hate you, here's a problem, you know, everything's <laughs> sure. exploding. When you help people, really all that I do is hold up a mirror to their own capabilities. When they become what they become, you get tons of positive email. I've heard from people in 140 countries, the book's in a ton of languages. It comes out this year in Icelandic, Urdu, oh, wow. Polish. Um, and so occasionally, just to wrap this up, occasionally... I'd get an email usually from a millennial Gen Xer. This is all motivational, but I could never do it. Mm. And that aided me. Yeah. Jay Samet has thin skin. So what, how was I missing people? What could I do better? So I decided to put my reputation on the line. And so Future Proofing You is the story of how I took an immigrant, on, grew up on welfare, basically homeless. He was couch surfing at friends' places. Mentored him one day a week for a year. The ground rules are I gave him no cash. I didn't open up any contacts. Okay. And I didn't tell him what to do. But he had to start a business that took zero capital. And I'll give away the ending. Comes a self-made millionaire in 11 months. So how did he do it? Well, I I took those those mentoring sessions down to what I call 12 truths. And if you follow them, you'll be successful. And the first truth is what you live in. And preach, if I may say that, every day on your podcast, which is you have to have a growth mindset. It all starts with that. Attitude is everything. So the funny thing is I didn't have the time in this experiment to let him organically build self-confidence. That's interesting. I needed him to have that growth mindset day one hitting the ground. So and he didn't find this out until I let him read the book once it was typeset, um, (laughs) that in our first meeting, I lied. To him. There's a principle in psychology called the Pygmalion effect. A professor went to school, interviewed, tested all the kids, said three of them were super learners. And at the end of the year, they test all the school and those three kids excel. 
But the professor lied. He never looked at the first test. He picked three names out of a hat. But if you tell people they're special and you treat them special, they act and become special. You know, mm. what you believe you achieve. So I lied to Vin. I said, I interviewed over 100 candidates. And he was the only one that had all the attributes to be a self-made millionaire. <laughs> and though he didn't really believe it, he figured if this old dude, if this guy with all the success did it, he'll go along and believe it. By the end of the first month when he made $60,000, he was a believer. He, his growth mindset was so strong that midway through the story, his business gets punched in the gut. Something out of left field. He couldn't have predicted. It wasn't his fault. And I'm like, okay, it's over. It'll be a book about a guy who made a half a million, you know, whatever. <laughs> he didn't blink. He was like, okay, this isn't working. I'll try something else. This, uh, you know, he didn't move. And at the end of that month's uh, mentoring session, his goal for the month was 100 grand. And he came in beating himself up. He had only done $96,000. And I was laughing inside. Could the old Vin from six months ago have ever imagined being upset that he only made $96,000 in a month? <laughs> yeah, of course, right? <laughs> so that's the power of a mindset. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have so many questions, but first, like where where do you think you got your some of your first nudges or your your for, first mentoring, you know, scenarios like what you're doing for this guy? So I didn't have it easy. I have the scars on the back of having made every mistake, been, you know, cheated, lied to. I mean, sure. Life isn't easy. Um the resilience came from looking at my kids. I wanted them to have a better life. So I knew I couldn't give up. So if something didn't work, I didn't say, okay, that didn't work. What was me? I said, okay, I got to find another one. So I'll give you an example. When I came out of college, there were no jobs. Yeah. And it was the time that Star Wars came out. Okay. I want to do Hollywood special effects. I don't know anybody in Hollywood. I don't know how to do special effects. And what do you do? So I decided to create my own special effects company. It's called Jasmine Productions. J-A-S or my initials, so Jasmine, it was mine. But I didn't make myself head of the company because no one's going to believe a company with a 21-year-old CEO. So I just <laughs> made myself a sales guy. Yeah. Went out. Back then, you could hire Lucas and ILM and spend millions and millions. But your smaller pictures, I figured, don't have those budgets. So I hustled, and I got a bunch of work. I had no idea what to do. But then you do what anybody does. You hire people to know how to do it. Yeah. So I discovered early that you only need two things to be successful, insight and perseverance. Everything else can be hired. So if I can teach people how to have insight, like I teach how to build a high-tech startup at, at USC, largest mm -hmm. engineering school in the country. I had students do $150 million in a semester. Let that wow. sink in. Wow. So, so you can teach people insight. But you brought up a more important thing that I didn't get till very late in life, till 40. You cannot do this alone. One of my 12 truths, number seven, don't fly solo. You're going to need a series of mentors. Our world is changing too fast. What you learned in school won't get you through life. What you learned last year won't get you through next year. Yeah. Everyone's had mentors. Oprah Winfrey had Barbara Walters. I mean, uh, Zuckerberg had Steve Jobs. Even Mother Teresa met her mentor on a bus bench. So okay. there's this mythology of the self-made man or the self-made woman. I did it on my own. That's a pile of crap. No one makes it on their own. It's impossible, okay? Mm -hmm. And why would you want to? There are thousands of people that want to help you. So I, I explain in Future Proofing You how to use LinkedIn to find mentors. And that doesn't mean out of the blue, send an email to a stranger, hey, will you be my mentor? That's about as effective as walking to bar and say, hey, will you have my baby? It doesn't work. Yeah. But you can identify those people that are posting and interested in a topic and, and wanting to share and start a dialogue. And those people want to see you succeed. And the reason most people don't try it outside of that mythology is we were taught from the beginning how money is made in a way that isn't true. When you were in school, you were taught something like this. If Jay buys a banana for $1 and I sell it to you for $2, that's how I make money. Right? Yep. That implies what's called zero-sum game in game theory. Think of a poker table. You can only make as much money as on the table. 
So either the money's in your pocket or my pocket. Mm-hmm. So it's dog eat dog. If they get the promotion, I'm not getting it. If they get the jobs, if, if uh, foreigners take our jobs, if another country, the whole world's against you. What a horrible way to look at life. Now, let me tell you how people become billionaires. As I said, there's a new self-made billionaire every 48 hours. And that's billionaire really? with a B. Yeah. Hey, Jay, I sold my last company after 18 months for $200 million. True. I'm starting a new one. Would you like 10% for 10,000? And you say, yes. What do I now have? I have 10,000 in cash and 90,000 in stock mm-hmm. that I created out of thin air. I can hire people with that. I can buy things with that. I can merge companies with that. That's where wealth's created. Entrepreneurs have the Midas touch. They create money out of thin air. It's not that they're taking from somebody else. So if that's this abundance approach, then here's the second thing that nobody pays attention to. If you have problems in your life, congratulations. Obstacles are just opportunities in disguise. Sure. Entrepreneurs don't sell stuff. They solve problems. No one in the history of mankind ever wanted a quarter-inch drill bit. What they wanted was a quarter-inch hole. They bought the drill bit to make the hole. Yeah. So I teach people an exercise called 30 problem, uh, uh, three problems a day for 30 days. So at the end of a month, you'll have 90 solid things. And then you sort those along what has the biggest audience. Mm-hmm. That's called TAM, Total Addressable Market. When I teach this in college, there's always some kids says, I'm going to build a, a business to deliver food to the dorms. You know what? It takes the same energy to build a business with an audience of 200 as Uber Eats. So sure, good point. which are you yeah. going to build? Yeah. The second one is, what are you passionate about? Because it's going to be hard. And you're going to want to take that persistence that I talk about. And one of the truths in the book is number six, is how do you take that perseverance and turn it into passion? Because that will carry you. Anybody can sell shoes. La-di-da. Here's another shoe. This one's green. This one has a heel. Who cares? But when Tom's Shoes tells you when you buy one of their shoes, Someone that's never owned a pair of shoes will get a pair of shoes for free. Now you feel differently about your consumer purchase. You feel differently about working at that company. It has shared values. This is what today people are searching for in all of their decisions. Sure. So find that passion. And it can be anywhere. Uh, Tom Bilyeu, who wrote the the foreword to the book, Mm -hmm. had a successful software company. Nobody's heart was in it, but they're making money. But he came from a family that had morbidly obese people. And he looked at one of the things out there was when they would buy, you know, protein bars, health food, they're all filled with corn syrup. They're basically candy bars with a BS label. Yeah. So he said, I don't know anything about that business, but, and there's 1,600 bars on the market, but we're going to make a healthy one. It was called Quest. A few years later, they sell for a billion dollars. It's that passion that drove to the success. Totally. It wasn't the profit. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit, Jay, about, I mean, I, I watched a couple of interviews that you did with, with Tom. And I, I think Tom and I probably share the same uh, question or what, we're trying to unpack something that, that we see in you. And I see it as, as someone that's surrounded or someone that collects really good questions from people like yourself around the world. And there's this idea not idea it's so obvious with you You you're you're asking quality questions or you're you're taking the time to think like you think about situations in a very different way and like i know you've you gave a ton of examples on on tom on tom's show but just like all these different use cases for i think one was when you're getting one of your first jobs and you put the the ad out in the in the newspaper and but they're just they're, the, they're the, like these subtle little tweaks in thinking. So I'm curious, w- did you pick that up from someone? Or is this like, how do you, how do you surface these questions? Because most people, myself included, when, you know, when I'm not following my own mental fitness practices, we get clouded and it's hard to Absolutely. see that stuff. So first of all, and you're a great question. One of the 12 truths that you just hit on is superpower. We all have a superpower, okay? Mine happens to be I'm dyslexic. Okay. Doesn't sound like a superpower to most people. As a kid, you're told you're stupid, but it means I don't think linearly. Mm. So I didn't figure out how to be the -the out-of-the-box thinker 
I had to realize that nobody else thinks the way I do. But everybody has a superpower. And what I mean by that is, what do your friends come and ask you advice about? No one ever came to me about cooking tips or fashion, okay? Okay? <laughs> Not my superpowers, okay? But you'll see what you have, and then you lean into it. And when you build your business and build your team, you surround yourself with people that don't have the same superpower that have something else. So I, I tell a great story in Future Proofing You. Young man, middle school, has ADD. Not what most people think is, you know, something positive. And they give him Ritalin and all these drugs. He hates being in the fog his whole life. And the only place where he can calm his mind is when he swims in the backyard at a pool. So he went to his mom and went to the doctor and said, if I promise to swim every day, can I get off these drugs? And they said, okay. So he swam every day. That calmed his mind, let him focus. He was committed to that. And by the end of his teenage years, he had 17 Olympic medals. You know him as Michael Phelps. Hmm. His superpower isn't swimming. His superpower was the ADD. Interesting. Yeah. There's only one of you on the planet. If you're trying to follow some other path or do what somebody else is doing, that job's taken. So what makes you unique? What problem do you care about? How do you solve? I hate when people go to little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Never ask my children that. I always ask them, what problem do you want to solve when you grow up? Because at any age, we see injustice. We see problems. We see just things that annoy us. Sure. Why not make the world better? And the best way to help yourself is by helping others. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, like I feel, you know, you, you, you ask that question, you, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I mean, your life changes as, as you, as you grow up, obviously, and you start seeing, you start picking up experiences, you start seeing to your point problems, this, that, I mean, you're, you're only, you're only putting yourself in a bucket, you know, in a restricted bucket. If you, you stay stuck to that notion or that principle, right? Yeah. But if it's a problem, then it has only two outcomes. You solve it or you continue to whittle away at it. So yeah. that never that never goes away. Yeah. Right? So when you think of the, the latest book, I mean, as someone that is in the process of writing their, their first book, and I'm, I'm a couple weeks out from the final copy editing, so I'm excited. I'm going into production. Yeah, thank you. So I, I just share that because I, I realize it's a it's a hell of a process to to write a book. What you know what what drove you to write the first book? Because it's not an oh. easy task. Um, so write, writing's always come easy for me. So you know I write a column for the Wall Street Journal. I write a column for for uh, for uh, Fortune magazine. Um, but when I was teaching college kids how to do a high tech startup. That was my way of paying it forward and, and helping. I was amazed that these brilliant engineers couldn't understand the illogical world of business, where okay. the solution isn't a one or a zero. And the MBA students couldn't figure out how to communicate or understand that type of world. And I realized that everybody was being taught by people that had never built a billion-dollar company, that people had never sat in an empty room and faced the challenges. And those books written by those type of entrepreneurs They'd never run Fortune 500 companies with hundreds of thousands of employees to understand the other side. So I've been fortunate to see all these sides. And I got worked my butt off to be lucky. Yeah. And I just want to help others to achieve the same. It's not about making money. It's about, did I spend my time wisely on this planet? Did I learn something to make the planet better? And how can I help? And so what... What focused me in the first one is there was one student that I once had who I thought was so brilliant, and yet all his ideas for his startups, even going forward to today, are horrible. Like something wasn't connecting. And so I tried to really break down and disrupt you how the process works. And before you start any business, the first thing you have to disrupt is yourself. Everybody thinks Ooh. of changing the world. Nobody thinks of changing themselves. And that little voice that says, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not that, that was hammered into you by parents and teachers and well-wishers trying to shield you from pain and failing. Failing is the most important part of success. Yeah. You either, you don't end up where you start when you fail, you either earn or you learn. So that explains how Jeff Bezos could lose money year after year after year after year with Amazon and come out the backside as the richest man of the world. You know, 
there was two guys at the beginning of my career that had a brilliant idea. Let's hook up computers to traffic lights to organize traffic and make the roads move better in cities. <laughs> they went to urban planners that had no idea what they were talking about. The company was called Trafo Data. So Bill Gates and Paul Allen's first company went bust. Yeah. Their second company, Microsoft, did a little bit better. So <laughs> Walt Disney went bust. Uh, Henry Ford went bust. Investors would rather invest in somebody who's had a failed business than somebody that's a virgin going out the first time. Yeah. So people have to embrace failing. It's the, it's the way you play a video game. You don't sit down and four hours later, woohoo, I made it to the final level. You go, man, this obstacle's killing me. How do I get it? How do I get it? I made it past that obstacle. Oh, there's another obstacle? Yeah. Welcome to business. So how do you navigate that? Because, I mean, you, you, you've had a long career and, and you continue to disrupt, let's just say. I mean, what, what are some of your tricks? There's always a way. You have to start with that there's always a way. There's no okay. insurmountable mountain. So uh, shortest version of, of, of one that just like was the, the, the deepest woe is me in my corporate days is, is I was uh, a global EVP uh, and, and general manager of Sony. Okay. okay. Multi-billion dollar companies, hundred billion dollar company back then. And we were going up against iTunes to launch a competing service. They spend a hundred million dollars a year on advertising. I have a budget of zero. Okay. <laughs> so that was the first problem to solve. So I have a philosophy that I write about in, in the first book called OPM, Other People's Money. How can I get somebody else to spend money to solve my problem? It's your favorite kind of money. You don't have to pay it back. They don't want equity. It's not a loan. It's just free money. So that year, McDonald's had suffered from the movie Super Size Me. Their sales were down 9%. First time McDonald's having a horrible year. So, okay, McDonald's suffering. What does that have to do with me launching a music store? So that's the way my mind works. I go, okay, buy Big Mac, get a free track. Now, they'll spend $60 million on TV commercials, and the only way you redeem that track is to come to my store, and they would, be, it turns out, they delivered 20 million paying customers my first week. Now, here comes the Whoa. second problem that happened That So I'm the big hero, okay? I'm going to, you know, this <laughs> thing's about to launch. We're a couple weeks out. I've done this giant deal with McDonald's. The chairman is, is thrilled with me. We're not spending any money. We're just like, oh, my God. Then McDonald's comes to me and says, you know, when we do these promotions, because we got in trouble on a promotion once before, we take out insurance in case everybody redeems the pieces and it's more money than any of us thought or whatever it is. And the policy is $6 million. So we're <laughs> going to split it with you. So we need your check for $3 million. So <laughs> sure. <laughs> I've, I've already told the board, this stuff's already printed. The commercials are already shot, right? I don't have $3 million. Now, in, if you've never been at the board level of giant corporations, you don't go in and go, I don't know what I was doing that I suddenly need $3 million <laughs> because your life is over. So that's a big problem, right? So yeah, that's my, significant. Here, that's a career ending. <laughs> yeah. So here was my thinking, okay? I stayed up on it. And I said, wait a second. What McDonald's doesn't want is $3 million. What McDonald's want is insurance. We're a $100 billion company. So if I guarantee the promotion, if I'll insure the promotion, then they'll write me a check for $3 million. <laughs> So then I went to the board meeting on launch. It happened to line up at launch. I said, um, we launched today. I don't have the numbers yet, but we're already $3 million in profits. <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> well done. That, that's how you solve stuff. You just, just keep on hammering. There's always a way. Yeah. Do you remember, Jay, um, just getting practical? And it's okay if you don't have these details, but when you were, when you were, when that information was dumped on you, essentially, right? Like, oh shit, this is, this is a bad situation. I've got to, I've got to sort this one out. What did you do? Did you stay in the office? Did you go for a walk? Did you, did you do something? Like, how did you think through the problem? So, yeah, I, I just, you know, canceled any incoming calls, you know, Yeah, and just sit. And, um, you know, that's how I do it. I try to clear my head walking on, on, on the beach, you know, uh, several times a week. It's one of the advantages of living in LA, but yeah, mm -hmm. you have to find a way just to get, get in that relaxed state to think about sometimes take, take a nap and you'll wake up with a better idea, wh whatever that might be. My, my, my favorite parable, um, that, that explains how I see the world 
was this guy builds a giant corporation, a multi-billion dollar company. He's got the big high-rise headquarters or whatever. And he realized this chairman, he hasn't been through the building in years. So he decides to walk around and he goes on the fourth floor and he sees a guy just staring out the window. Now, the guy doesn't see the chairman looking at him. Chairman looks at his watch. He's been staring 15 minutes, 45 minutes. Now the chairman's blood pressure is going. The guy's just doing nothing, staring out the window for over an hour. Now the chairman goes up to the top of the thing, calls in all the VPs, all the press. What kind of company are you running? Who is this guy on the fourth floor that's just staring out the window? He goes, well, you know our number one product last year? He goes, yeah. He was the guy that came up with it. And hmm. two years before our number one product, he was the guy that came up with it. So the chairman calms down. Everybody goes home. The next morning, that guy on the fourth floor goes back to his office. He has a bigger window. <laughs> That's yeah. the way corporations deal with out-of-the-box thinkers. They just don't know what to do with us. Um, so when you asked about mentor, when I was just about 40, I had been in digital and done, you know, first video on a computer and for social network and all these things that whatever. Uh, and Napster came along and the music industry is decimated. Okay, their, their sales went for, as an industry from 40 billion to 20 billion overnight. Okay. So the world's largest music company is a company called EMI, the, the Beatles, the Freddie Mercury Queen, yeah. you, know, you name it, Garth Brooks. So the CEO calls me in to come in and he goes, you know, want you to, you know, run the company and so, solve all this. I go, I know nothing about the music business. And without missing a beat, he goes, I got 11,000 people to know the music business. What I don't have is a future. And so Ken Berry, who was Richard Branson's partner in founding Virgin originally, he became a mentor at that stage of life, which was, I could run in at any time. I have a wacky idea, and he'd tell me what's wrong. Not to shoot it down, but so that I could go back and fix it. So what I've come up with my teams over the years is don't be afraid to have a half idea. Mm, I like that. I got a half idea. Yeah. The purpose of the meeting is to come up with the other half, right? I know yeah. it's flawed. And in, in my first book, Disrupt You, I have a concept called the zombie idea. Every idea you could come up with for business, right off the top of your head, I can tell you without knowing it, sucks. You don't expect that from a positive guy. It sucks because it was obvious. You don't know enough. Da, da, da. And it's better to find out from customers and everything what's flawed before you start spending money. Do all your iterations between your two ears before you, you're, of course, you're going to learn the same lessons after you've gone through the millions that you raised. But when you get to an idea that no one can come up with, with no one can kill, the idea that can't be killed, the zombie idea, then you'll find raising money is really easy. And I've raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups. A big idea will attract big minds. And one of the, the, the truths that's in future-proofing you that's new post-pandemic is when we all started working from home, when even nationwide insurance could move 98% of the people or Google or everything, it meant that for the first time in history, you're not limited to hiring the best people within 10 miles of your office. Sure. You can hire the best people in the world. And they might live in a country where they work for a fraction of what it would cost to hire people here. So you have access to the best talent. You don't have any of the overhead. I list 22 free software tools for running remote companies. Now... You can compete against the big guys because you don't have any of those cost structures. Mm -hmm. You know what it is for a multinational company to, to come out with a new product? It's a lot of committee meetings and planning and, you know, you know, we'll come out with the 2021 calendar in 2040. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's why, you know, Elon was able to just, you know, one of the biggest things he did that Detroit wasn't ready for is he didn't care about the game of here's the 2021 model where we have new fake leather stitching. Yeah. No one cares. You don't need a new model every year if it doesn't do something new. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. Right? But that's a fundamental different way of looking at it. Had he tried to say we have to come out and have all these new models in development and have all this stuff da, 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 and play the other person's game, you lose. So yeah. here's the secret. Be the best at what you do or the only one doing it. Because if you're the only one doing it, by definition, you're the best. Fill a void. So if you want your, if you're writing your book, every book has to have an acronym somewhere in there. So in future-proofing you, here's how to think of, of the successful business. Move, okay? Mindset, which everybody listening to your show knows is important. Find an obstacle. 
Mm -hmm. Okay? Find a void. Something that nobody else is trying. And then execute. My whole career, I've always done the thing that nobody else is doing. Why? I hate competition. I know on any day, there's somebody smarter than me. Better connected, better funded, better looking, just plain old better. I hate that dude, okay? So I want to avoid him as long as possible. Sure. (laughs) I did the first social network 10 years before Facebook. Did I create a $100 billion company? No. You know, had I waited to launch it till Mark was doing his, I would have been crushed. But did I make the first social network to hit a million college students? Yes. Was I able to, you know, hire people like Mark Cuban and, and, and DoubleClick, which became Google AdSense and all these great people because it was a big idea that people were attracted to? Yeah. Yeah. Did we do well? I'll also be accused every time, and I teach entrepreneurs of selling early. Sure. It's all part of your journey, right? There's nothing that you can do with a billion dollars that you couldn't do with a hundred million, right? Yeah, yeah. So at some point, it's just ego, and pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. So you know, the the purpose of of, of the wealth is just to allow you to solve more problems. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll I'll go back. I mean, right back to the original. Uh, question, which you answered um, very well and with with many examples, actually. So thank you for that. And I, I just want to kind of anchor in on that because I think it's so important. And I'm so glad you brought up that example of the window, the person staring out the window, because we're, we're just often on autopilot in so oh. many different ways, right? That you know, like to, to sit, like what you described, even, even, oh, well, go take a walk at the beach or just canceled all meetings to think. I mean, that's not fortunate. It's not the default. It's the, it's the norm on this podcast in terms of who I'm interviewing, but it's not the default that makes its way out, right? It's like you see that person staring out the window and they've like lost it or something. Right. So you hit on a real key thing that I, that I, that I, I absolutely uh, believe in embracing is, is in the book to get through life. We have to be on autopilot, right? There's endless, endless distractions, endless decisions. Uh, you know, I, re- I remember years ago when my kids were little, you know, I was thinking about work and I would drop them off of school on my way to work. You know, I would drive them. I drove all the way and parked at, 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 at my parking space at, at my company and I hear giggling in the back seat and the kids go, uh, do you forget something, dad? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, because I'm just on autopilot. I didn't drive to my parking space. The car, you know, figured it out, you know, in my mind. But yeah. here's how you break the autopilot. So I mentioned that three problems a day for 30 days. The first day you can come up with problems in five seconds. There's traffic, there's this or that. Maybe the second day. By day three, you're like, I don't have any more problems because you're on autopilot. So you take the moment by moment. So one of my readers that I've become friends with was doing the 30-day exercise. And he's taking his medicine in the morning. The phone rings, has a great conversation. And then he goes, oh, did I take my pill? Well, if I take my pill twice, that could be bad for my health. If I don't take it, that's bad for my health. Oh, this is a problem. He was like so excited. So he thought about it and he ended up taking a little Happy Meal watch, one of those you know, quarter watch. You glue it on the lid. So when you shut it, it sets the timer to zero. So you go, oh, I opened it three minutes ago. Yes, I took the pill. No, I did. Then he added Bluetooth so you knew whether grandma took her pills. It was mm. called Timer Cap. Next thing you know, it's in every drugstore around the world and selling millions and millions of dollars. It was that moment. Yeah. And it just takes that moment. The other thing that people don't understand is the only competitive advantage you're going to have in any business. I don't care if it's a restaurant. I don't care if you're shining shoes. Any business is to get insight from your customers faster than the competition. That's mm. it. So yeah. that that data is so integral to solving all the problems that every every business has. And yeah. so when you start thinking of that, too many people get caught up working in their company instead of on their company. Totally. Been there. We so but this podcast, I mean, I'm grateful because it's the only reason I'm speaking to you is this is the, the business I was running was for a, a digital journaling company that we had started, one of the first apps at that time. And we had reached 86 million people with the app and crazy, all these collaborations and brand partnerships. Um, but to your point, you, you know, we first we built it for me to solve my problem, which is a great way to start. But we definitely did not 
sit down with the actual users of the of the app early enough. And we just got to the point where it was like, okay, yeah, we missed the mark here. And it was so hard because, uh, and this is included in the book that I'm working on, we had the roadmap. Like we had just finished the the research. We had a new dev team. We said, okay, this is the path we need to go. But we knew, we also knew, and we didn't want to be so naive to know to, to ignore that we weren't going to nail this in the first iteration. And then it was, do we have enough cash and mental capacity to to continue that journey? And you know, as a team, we decided um, to to try other things. But I mean, it birthed this podcast and everything else I'm working on. So yeah, I'm well, super grateful. Every, but, every every door that closes opens another one. But yeah, what you went through is what how Reed Hoffman describes, who wrote the the forward to, to uh, disrupt you, uh, created LinkedIn and and PayPal and all these things. He describes yeah. entre- entrepreneurs as people that jump off a cliff and assemble the airplane on the way down, yeah. which yeah. is so spot on to what you went through. Yeah. But every business does that. And some people look at the data quicker, some people later. And, you know, again, you would have found all these things out if you talked to your customers and had a zombie idea before you spent the money. Yeah. But one, my favorite go-to example on this is before there was actually dating before swiping your thumb, Okay. Um, (laughs) pre-app world there was computer dating and online dating was a still picture in a bio okay and when broadband came out 10 years ago three guys said wait a second we're going to own the dating space we're going to have videos you put up your video you can see the personality everything it was called tune in hookup okay three brilliant engineers great business plan made a flawless slight um the first video was a guy at the zoo standing in front of the elephant cage of why you should go out with them, okay? So what this was that wasn't in the business plan is, yes, they had people, but they were all losers and nobody wanted to date them. The business is dead. Tune yeah. in, hook up. But before they threw in the towel, they looked at the data for that insight that no one else would have. And there was an insight that they didn't have in their business plan. Nobody wanted to date these losers, but they sure as heck wanted to show all their friends their videos. So they changed the name of Tune and Hookup to YouTube and became billionaires without a penny in revenue. Wow. Twitter was a music. I mean, so many companies, because it is, you can only get the data by doing, you know? Yeah. Failure totally. is the best teacher you're ever going to have. Totally. Okay. And failing is learning what doesn't work. Failure is throwing in the towel and walking away. So yeah. there's always another way to do it. Whenever I hear people, oh, my business failed because I, I, I ran out of money. Nope, that's not why it failed. Yeah, right. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. I have a diamond mine that's just making tons of diamonds, but uh, I don't have any money to hire miners. It never happens, right? So, so why did it really fail? And, and there's lots of analysis and everything, but I'll tell you why it didn't fail getting back to the theme of your show. And I did a lot of research to make sure people know this. People with four-year college degrees don't end up wealthier than those without nowadays. Hmm. People with higher IQs don't end up wealthier. People born into money don't end up wealthier. So it's attitude. Yeah. Right? Attitude will determine your altitude. So, So can you teach people to find these insights? Yes. Can you teach them the steps to make sure that they're doing the right way? Yes. Can you teach them how to get mentors that will help them? Yes. Can you teach them how to get capital to do it? Yes. Okay. Can you help them turn that persistence that started the journey into passion to carry it through? So in Vin's case, I worked him hard like he was a Navy SEAL. I mean, for that year, he didn't date. He didn't, you know, daytime was for prospecting and nighttime was for doing the work and and he worked seven days a week, but he worked harder than most people were willing to for one year so he can live a manner that most people can't for the rest of his life. Yeah. And what got him through the end of the marathon was like when he knew we had a month to go, he's just like, I'm taking a year off. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And the only reason he could do that, he didn't make enough money never to work for the rest of his life. He's a young man, but he's future proof. He can start at any time, anywhere, and he knows he can do it again and again. Yeah, And that's what you don't get with a college degree. That's what you don't get with any other type of training. You have to understand what those levers are, how this world works nowadays, and how to align the world to support you and your journey to success. Yeah. 
What did you learn from Vin? Oh, great point. A mentor learns as much as the mentee. So I knew it as a stat, but I, I really had an experience that one of the driving forces in, in a world where wages have been flat since 1982, and if you take U.S. stats, the bottom 140 million Americans fight over 1% of the pie, okay? So the only thing that seemed achievable as a goal for most of these people is fame. So that comes from the, the FOMO and everything on social media and the fake lives. There. So Vin was really more interested when we met with, I want to be famous than I want to be profitable. And our first okay. big argument was he wanted to name the company, you know, Vin Clancy, whatever. And uh, the rational answer of, well, you know, in the era of Ford, the Ford family still runs it 100 years later. It made sense to put your name on the door in the area of something in tech or something today may only be for the zeitgeist for a moment. It's a lot harder to sell, you know, a company that's identified just with the human being. And I couldn't get 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 through for a while on the lo logical arguments because, again, he didn't come from a background to validate whether what I was saying was, you know, old guy mansplaining's opinion or fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I thought about somebody that I worked with uh, years ago, Richard Branson. Yeah. Branson's famous, but the brand was the best brand name ever, Virgin. It yeah. says, I don't know what I'm doing. He's had over 300 Virgin companies. Most are failures. Virgin Cola. Where are you going to sell it? Coke and Pepsi have every distribution locked up globally, right? Um, but he also created five multi-billion dollar companies in all different industries. And you talk about an out-of-the-box thinker. You know, didn't go to school. When he got out of, uh, out of uh, public school, his headmaster said, you're either going to be very rich or in jail. I mean, that, that was literally <laughs> yeah, what he yeah. told him. <laughs> but he, he had his music company was doing fine in the very early days, very young. He went on a trip with his girlfriend and uh, his flight home got canceled. We've all had canceled flights sitting in the airport. Most of us, including myself, just sit there and take it, right? Mm -hmm. he, he figured out what it cost to charter a plane, looked at all these people standing around, did the math of how could he and his girlfriend, who's now his wife, fly home for free, took a piece of cardboard out of the trash can, made a sign, and that's how you launch an airline. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does he know yeah, how to fly yeah. a plane? No. Yeah. You know, when people say, I can't do a tech company, I'm not an engineer. Um, everybody listening to my voice right now has written as much code as Steve Jobs. Yeah. zippity doo First trillion dollar company in history. You want to talk about persistence? He had no limits on his persistence. Not necessarily a good thing. Um, be nice to be in the in the in the moral ethical lanes. But yeah, yeah. made it to trillion dollar company. So it's achievable. We our educational system was set up at the time of the industrial age. Enough reading, enough math to work in a factory, right? How many cogs did you make in the cog factory? You know, you know, whatever. It wanted you to have conformity. It wanted to get that free thinking out. It wanted the standardized test, the standardized cookie cutter. Um, I don't know about you, but you show me two people that had the same dream when they were sleeping last night, and I'll give you a million dollars, all right? It doesn't work that way. We're all different. And that's what makes life so great. It's the diversity. Yeah. Right? So that's where that's how you that's how you got him then. You met him, you met him, you realize he's everyone's different, and you met him where where he would understand an example like Virgin. Yeah. 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 Amazing. And, and you know, I I also learned that, you know, as much as I've been a pioneer in many of the digital things that everybody takes for granted, I wasn't born into that world. It's sure. not in my DNA. So there's many things that are obvious to today's generation that they don't realize that the older folks just don't know or do. So that's a huge competitive advantage. Yeah. You know, and I have a chapter explaining what I believe is a trillion dollar opportunity that no one has a head start on. And you've talked about it earlier. 10 years ago when the iPhone came out, okay, you know what the top 10 apps were? I can imagine. I'll give you two of them. The fart app, just yeah. makes fart sounds, okay, and a game with cats, which is another way of saying no one thought of 
Zencaster or Robinhood or the thousands of other yeah. businesses that have made billions and billions of dollars. Now, we spend five hours a day on, on our phones. You couldn't live without them. And yet no one saw that. The big guys fought over making the hardware and the infrastructure and the 5G networks and all that stuff. Well, starting this Christmas and the Christmas after, we're all going to be getting augmented reality, spatial reality glasses. We're not going to have our phone out of our pocket. We're going to have heads-up display to make our lives, bring information to us. Um, but the big guys aren't making the apps. Why? If all my searching is going to take place on my glasses, if Google isn't there, Google ceases to exist. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing everything on my glasses and Apple doesn't sell you those glasses, they go out of business. And you can go the same with Microsoft, Facebook. So these guys are fighting the big turf wars. Yeah. What they're not making is the app. If you make that app, there are hundreds of millions of dollars of other people's money right now from those big guys that want to promote you. I'll give you a, a proof positive example if people don't believe me. When the iPad came out, prior to that, nobody had ever swiped. As strange as it may seem, yeah. <laughs> Apple was worried that they'd have to explain swiping and teach people to swipe, right? It's a new concept. You know, we understood point and click. Yeah, we don't think of this stuff. So they searched the world for just a simple video game, a game that they could, you know, bundle with it so that people could understand swiping. And they put that game in their $100 million of TV commercials. The game was called Angry Birds. <laughs> it's from a yeah. failing company, never had a hit, never had anything. But you advertise anything with $100 million that doesn't cost you anything. Not only did it become one of the biggest games in history, it sold $5 billion worth of, you know, T-shirts, lunchboxes, you know, teddy bears, you know, you know, you name it, merch. Yeah. So those opportunities are available now to bundle with these other things. So what problems did you once solve that just knowing that glasses could solve it? Remember, you don't have to know how to be the engineer. You can hire those. I'll tell you one of my favorite ones that the company's doing, they're scanning in all the products from the biggest retailer, uh, bricks and mortar retailer. So you can walk into the supermarket, your doctor tells you, you know what, you got diabetes, you can't have anything with sugar. No one's gonna pick up 9,000 packages with one point type. You just stand in the aisle and go, show me the products without sugar and everything else disappears. That's yeah. doable. Or yeah. the things that are Cato, or the things that are halal or kosher, or here's 19 wines. I just want a wine from France that's a Burgundy, right? Everything else disappears. Or yeah. you can add things. So our life becomes much more dynamic, but the whole process of sales and marketing stops right, right on top of your nose. Yeah. So if you're not there, your business is going to disappear. Just like if you didn't have a website 20 years ago, your business disappeared. If you didn't have an app 10 years ago, your business disappeared. So why wouldn't you want to just stake your claim knowing that you have no competition mm -hmm. and you're being subsidized by billions of dollars? Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jay, listen, I mean, we could, we could speak forever. Obviously, I want to respect your time and your mind is fascinating. Um, I would love to speak to you again at one point. The book, everyone will have that in the show notes for sure. I highly encourage both books, actually. And, and um, on that, before you do the wrap yeah. up, again, I'm not trying to make any money here. You can't buy a t-shirt with my face on it. I don't sell coaching. I don't, I don't sell anything, okay? Yeah. On my website, jsamet.com, it's my name, uh, I have free workbooks for both Disrupt You and Future Proofing You. So you can download, because many times you're reading something, oh, that makes sense, yeah, I want to do that, that makes sense. And then you get to the next chapter, and the last chapter went out the other year. So this way, at the end of each chapter, there's exercises you could do so you could start developing your plan. Yeah, right? love it. Love you're not going to get to where you want to go in five years if you don't have a map. So yeah. that's all, but continue. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you added that in. I mean, and you're speaking to the right audience for that because everything we talk about here is just, you know, t take the time to actually think about what you're consuming and, and apply it. So that's perfectly uh, in sync with that. Last question for you, sir. Okay. What makes you smile each day? My beautiful wife. She's my best friend, my muse. Um, you know, the sun shining. I, I have a perfect life. I just want to keep on doing good to keep it perfect. Yeah. I mean, everything makes me smile. Um, uh, you know, what an amazing time to be alive. If you really believe my premise that all that entrepreneurs doing are solving problems, 
Who are they solving them for? You and me. Yeah. I mean, when Travis came up with, with, with Uber, you have no idea. I, I, prior to the pandemic, I would do a couple hundred thousand miles a year flying around speaking and, and doing stuff. And you land in a country where, you know, in the taxi days, the guy doesn't speak your language. You don't speak his. You're only going to be in, you know, Portugal for, for three hours. You don't have the currency. It, it so was true. horrible. I, I so remember true. having a cab driver who didn't speak English or French. He was an immigrant in Paris who didn't know how to get to the Eiffel Tower. Okay. Right. Yeah. I, I can make one with my fingers, but I can't tell you how to get there. Um, so get, you see that these problems that everybody's solving that just makes our life so much better. Right. Yeah. And on the creative side, thank God there's people that want to spend $200 million to make a movie. I mean, think about that for a second. That's to entertain my ass for two hours. I am grateful. Yeah. So it's a great time to be alive. There is abundance. It is not distributed equally because the world doesn't do that, but it's open to all. Yeah. There's no gatekeeper blocking you. And when I look at all the people that I've known that have had unbelievable success, it was just one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, and the steps are easier. And I thank you for giving me this time today, Mark, and I thank your audience because, you know, I can't wait to hear from people of what they've created and what they're doing to make the world better. Well, thank you, sir. It was a delight and I wish you nothing but more awesome in your life and keep, um, keep rocking it out there. Keep helping others. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Thank you.